Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning again, Ritman Grace Brethren Church. We're continuing in a sermon series that we've been in on the life of David. And uh, if you're a Bible person, my guess is you might be a little bit familiar with David. David was a shepherd. He was a hymn writer. And we're learning about this man that the Bible tells us was a man after God's own heart. And if you're just now jumping in with us, uh, you're actually catching us at week eight out of an 11-week study. Um, So we're kind of closing in towards the end now. And I just want to encourage you, if uh, you want to get caught up on this study, you can go to RittmanGrace.org. You can access all of our sermon series, including this one on the life of David. Um, So I encourage you to do that, take advantage of that. We'd love to serve you in that way. Well, I want to talk this morning about a pretty pretty serious issue. Uh, All cards on the table. I want to talk to you about your wounds. I want to talk to you about your wounds. Uh, We've all had wounds in our lives. For me, growing up, uh, personally, I can just tell you, I struggled a lot with wounds of deficiency. Uh, Many of you know, you've heard my story a little bit. I made some pretty bad choices uh, early on, coming out of high school, getting involved with uh, partying a little bit too much, involved in alcohol and drugs. And as a result of that, I made some really bad life choices and felt fundamentally flawed. In fact, it wasn't until I followed Christ that I even felt lovable. Just struggled to feel good enough. So for me, it was specifically wounds of deficiency. And maybe you can identify with me in that way. Maybe uh, you struggle with that, or maybe you know somebody who struggles with wounds of deficiency. Or maybe for you, it's a different type of wound. Maybe for you, it's a wound of rejection. Maybe for you, you reached out at some point in your life for connection but was dismissed, and you felt that you didn't expect people to like you. You didn't expect people to want to be around you. Maybe for you, you were abandoned at some point in your life after being taken care of for a while. Maybe for you, you were abandoned, and you were afraid of being left again. And maybe for others of us, it's wounds of shame. Uh, Maybe for you, at some point in your life, you were publicly ridiculed or embarrassed, and now you feel ashamed of yourself. Or maybe it's a wound of guilt. Maybe for you or somebody you know, there was, uh, you repeatedly were made to feel guilty about something that you did in your past, and now you can't forgive yourself. The bottom line is, is this, we all have wounds, and that's the common denominator that many of us in this room this morning share, as well as maybe some folks watching online as well. And the reality is, you can't go through life without being wounded. You just can't. So the question becomes, what do we do with our wounds? Once we've been wounded, what do we do with our wounds? What will you do when someone sins terribly against you? When the wounds are deep, when the wounds are dangerous, whether you're wounded by a family member or a friend or possibly a business partner or maybe even another believer in Christ, when your trust has been betrayed, when your confidence has been broken, When you feel like you've come face to face with evil itself, 
What do you do in a situation like that? Well, I want you to know that the Bible gives us answers to how we are to handle our wounds. And I want to give you some practical suggestions at the end of our time together today and how we can handle our wounds in a healthy way. Because what's encouraging is that you can actually grow through your wounds. And you can help others as a result. You can have a ministry through your wounds is what we're going to discover here this morning. What am I talking about? Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 13, in fact, is where we're going to pick up this story and study in the life of David. And before we dive in, just a little bit of background. At this point in the story, we are at the palace of King David. We're at the palace of King David, and inside that palace, what we see is his blended family. And I imagine during this time, people would walk past this palace, thinking to themselves, talking amongst themselves, thinking, man, how amazing would it be to live there? How amazing would it be to live in the palace? I mean, they have everything. They've got money. They've got resources. It would be a dream. But in actual reality, behind closed doors, family life in the palace was a complete and utter nightmare. We're introduced to a character today, kind of a weird name. The name's Amnon. Amnon was having serious problems in his thought life. And the Bible tells us that Amnon kept thinking about Tamar. This beautiful young woman, Amnon would watch her around the palace and his thoughts about her were out of control. And so Amnon, he invites his stepsister, Tamar into his room. The Bible tells us that he abused her, that he tricked her, that he grabs her wrists and would not let go. It's a terrible story. It's an awful story. And yet it's in the Bible. And the question is why? And I think it's because terrible things happen in the world. In a world of terrible abuse, where you know this, this is not new information, you could just turn on the news and read the headlines, and it won't take long to see abuses in the family. This is the world in which we live, and it's terribly sad. But I want you to know that God speaks to the world that you and I both live and breathe in. And the Bible is a book that speaks about life as it is in the world, with all of its pain and all of its atrocities. So this passage that we're going to look at this morning and study together, it's a reminder, I believe, that God knows your deepest wounds, even if no one else does. We learn, the Bible tells us that Tamar came running from Amnon's room, absolutely devastated. And so we break in at verse 18, and notice what it tells us. So, his servant put her, her as in Tamar, out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. And I just imagine that uh, she must have looked amazing in this robe. Can you imagine the princess in this beautiful robe? But when she came running from Amnon's room, everything was different. Verse 19 says, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. 
She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Now, this happens 3,000 years ago. But when you read this, your heart goes out to this woman. When you look at this story today, does it not? I mean, who could describe the pain that she must have felt from what happened? And you almost just want to give her a hug if you could, you know? And there was one person who did that, her brother Absalom. She ran straight to Absalom. And now as her older brother, she seems to have this instinctive trust in him. And I don't think that what Absalom says to her is really all that helpful, but what is abundantly clear from the text is that Absalom cared for his sister. He embraced her. He took her into his home. We learned that he protected her, and she felt safe with him. And the crazy thing is, we don't read any more about Tamar. The story that the Bible follows is a story of how this affected Absalom and what he did with his wounds. In verse 20, it says, Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all of this, he was furious. And we learn as well that Absalom was absolutely furious about what happened as well. But he didn't say a word about it to anybody. Deep in his heart, he as the older brother was determined that he was going to get revenge. Verse 22, it says, And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Now talk about a dysfunctional family. I don't know what your family's like, but this is a pretty dysfunctional family. And as we look behind closed doors, we discover this terrible thing that has happened in this family. And nobody is saying a word about it. Absalom won't speak to Amnon, whether good or bad. If Amnon walks in the room, Absalom walks out of the room. And you can feel the hatred. But the thing is, nobody addresses the problem. And the Bible says that's how it was for two full years. So two full years go by. And then one day Absalom was out shearing his sheep, hardly supervising the shearers that were doing that work. When the sheep shearing was finished, Absalom thought that it was time for a celebration. So what does he do? He persuades all the king's sons to come and join him, including, can you guess, Amnon. Verse 28, Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. And that's exactly what happened. Absalom's men did what he ordered. And then we're told that the rest of the king's sons jumped on their mules and they fled. Two things I want you to notice here. Firstly, nobody was surprised at what happened. Notice in verse 32 now. But Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother said, My lord should not think that they killed all the princes, only Amnon is dead. 
This has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Now notice he says, expressed intention. That means this. It means that he talked about it. It means that he made threats, and yet he never said a word to Amnon. But everybody in the palace knew. They knew that he was determined to get Amnon. And one day he would. So again, the first thing I want you to notice is that nobody was surprised about this. Now here's, here's the second thing I want you to notice. All the king's sons fled. Look at verse 29 again. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and they fled. Think about that. Why do that? Well, this is just speculation, but possibly because they thought that they were next. Amnon was King David's oldest son, and Absalom had his eye on the throne. One way to make sure that he would get to the throne would be to get rid of his brothers. If Absalom takes out Amnon, he moves up one more place in the line of order. The brothers knew that if they didn't get out of there quickly, that they would be next. So the Bible tells us that eventually David invites Absalom back. And that was a big mistake on David's part because he never dealt with the issue that caused him to go in the first place. So eventually Absalom raises a rebellion against his own father. David is forced to retreat from his home in Jerusalem. And then what follows is a civil war between those that are loyal to Absalom and those that are loyal to King David. And in the end, Absalom's rebellion fails. Absalom is killed in battle. At the end of that, David is very brokenhearted, and we learn that he says some very famous words in 2 Samuel chapter 18. And you might be familiar with this, but he says this. The Bible says that the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So David weeps over his son. And at this point, you can't help but feel a little bit sorry for David at this point. Because over the years, tragedy has multiplied in his family. His daughter has been terribly abused. Not one, but two of his sons are dead. And the kingdom that had been entrusted to him has been completely and utterly divided. It's a story of immense tragedy. And of course, Absalom wanted to make things right. But he ultimately just ended up doing, all he ended up doing was multiplying pain and bloodshed. And I think that's worth giving some attention to this morning. I think that's worth giving some attention to because the reality is when you're wounded, when I'm wounded, there's always going to be something in us that wants to make the other person pay. Sometimes it's not just, uh, it's, it's just not easy to tell the difference between justice and revenge. And the tragedy of this story that we just read is that Absalom multiplied pain, division, and bloodshed among God's people. But he would have told you, if you would talk to Absalom, he would have told you that he was pursuing justice. 
But the reality is it got all mixed up with his own ambitions to claim the throne. Just think about that. As we follow the story, it becomes less and less about Tamar, and it becomes more and more about Absalom getting to the throne. It's about money, it's about winning, and it's about power. Because that's what happens in conflict. We begin by trying to put something that was wrong right, and then it develops into a passion to destroy another person. So in light of that story, what do you do with a message like this? How do we avoid this pattern in our own lives? Because the reality is, wounds will happen in this life. It's unavoidable. Whether you're a follower of Christ, or whether you believe in some other type of religion, or whether you don't believe in anything, wounds are unavoidable. People will hurt you. Think about it this way. Imagine you have a slash in your hand. One of two things can happen. Either the wound can heal or the wound can go septic. The question is this, how are you going to deal with your wounds? That will become one of the critical questions that will determine the outcome and the impact of your life. So if you have your bulletin notes, let me offer to you three remedies for dealing with wounds. Three remedies for dealing with wounds when you're wounded. The first one is this, make sure that you discern the enemy. Make sure that you discern the enemy. What am I talking about? Well, if you asked Absalom, Absalom, who is the enemy? He would have had zero hesitation telling you that it's Amnon. Amnon's the enemy. When Amnon is gone, everything's going to be fine. Amnon is the problem in my life. We do this too. We do this all the time. When so-and-so leaves the company, everything's going to be okay. When so-and-so graduates, my life will be okay. When so-and-so leaves the church, everything will be all right. And Absalom's problem was that he pinned the problem exclusively on another person. And the reality is, if you believe that people are the problem, then you'll never be done. You'll never be finished because once that conflict is over, you'll find another conflict. You'll find yourself in a similar conflict with another person. And that's what happened with Absalom. As soon as he was rid of Amnon, as soon as Amnon was out of the picture, he goes and he finds himself in a conflict with David. And that's how it goes. It's this endless cycle that goes on and on and on and on unless you can discern the enemy. And that's where the New Testament gives us a really critical piece of information. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And here's what he says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when you think of your wounds, when I think of my wounds... Right? My guess is there's a name or a face that just pops up when you think of your wounds. And you go, he's my problem. Or she's my problem. But I would submit to you on behalf of what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Be more discerning about your enemy than that. Be more discerning about your enemy than that. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The primary struggle in your life is primary struggle in my life, the primary struggle in all of our lives 
is not with a person. It is with the activity of your enemy through that person. Jesus did not teach his disciples to pray, Lord, deliver us from Caesar. Lord, deliver us from the Pharisees. Jesus said what? What did he say? Lord, deliver us from, what's the word? Evil. Lord, deliver us from evil. And it may be expressed through a person, but the New Testament teaches us to discern more deeply. Here's the second remedy. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The second one is to trust the king. Trust the king. See, I think we can all understand. I don't think it's hard for us to understand Absalom's outrage. I mean, his sister had been abused. Absalom is her big brother. And he felt like he had to deal with the situation. But that was a mistake, for the task of dealing with Amnon belongs not to Absalom, but to the king. And the reality is, God has established a chain of command in society, and we should be very thankful for that. And this is where we're able to distinguish between justice and revenge. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, he's talking about the civil authorities within a community. So when there's a conflict, the question becomes this. Is this an issue that can be rightly resolved by repentance, by forgiveness and reconciliation? And if the answer to that is no, if it can't, then the question becomes this. Who has God appointed to deal with this matter? For example, if there is a crime involved, God has appointed authorities to deal with the crime. And this is what prevents us from descending into complete anarchy. This is one of the graces of God in a human society. If there's a situation at your school, tell the principal. Instead of taking matters into your own hands. Trust me, it doesn't work out well. I've learned the hard way. God has appointed authorities and structures in a society. And during the time of Absalom, it was the king's job. It was the king's job to deal with the terrible abuse that took place. Absalom should have went to the king because it's his job to establish justice. But you know this, and I know this. If you've been paying attention in the story, the king failed in his responsibilities. We read it earlier, and I'll mention it again, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, it says that when King David heard all of this, he was furious. It says that David was furious. He got angry, but he did nothing. Amnon was never confronted, never disciplined, never charged, or sentenced. And the bottom line is that the king failed to uphold justice. Why was this? Well, Speculation, but perhaps it was because David suffered from a moral paralysis because of his sin within his own life. He had taken another man's wife, and Absalom knew that, so he decided to take matters into his own hands. Here's the issue God has established channels of authority in the world so that justice should be done and revenge should be prevented. But what do you do when that doesn't work? What do you do when a court comes up with a ridiculous ruling? What do you do when a principal at a school makes the wrong ruling because he or she doesn't have all the evidence? What do you do in any sphere of life, for that matter, 
where there's an injustice? What do you do when the system fails? And the answer is, when the king fails, you trust the king, capital K, king. Because the reality is all authorities draw their authority from God. So when a human process fails, there's the king whom you can look. And he will never fail. Peter wrote in the New Testament to some people who suffered terrible persecution and justice was never done. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And sometimes to do that may be the only way to bring peace to your soul. So, the first remedy is to discern the enemy. Remedy number two is to trust the king. Here's the third one. Serve the wounded. Serve the wounded. What am I talking about? Well, Absalom did not do that. So we have to find another example of somebody who did. So in these last moments, what I want to do is I want to look to Jesus Christ as the primary example of this, as there's no one better. There's never been a person so abused as Jesus Christ. I think it's important for us to remember that. He was flogged just to keep people happy. When they were finished with him, the Bible says that his face was so disfigured that he was no longer recognizable. And finally, they nailed Jesus to a cross and they lifted him up to be crucified. I cannot think of a greater abuse that could be committed. But you remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. How could Jesus do that? I think it's because he discerned the enemy. He discerned the enemy, and he, the, the courts failed him. If ever a court failed somebody, my goodness, they failed Jesus. He went to King Herod, who had just beheaded John the Baptist. He went to, before Pontius Pilate, the government entrusted with law and order in the land. And what does Pilate do? Pilate brings out a bowl of water, and he washes his hands. Peter writes these words about Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, what Jesus did when the king failed, he trusted the king. Now, what came out of that? Well, we see in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I want you to notice that. I want you to think about that. By his wounds, you have been healed. The greatest ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ flows from his wounds. Without those wounds, he wouldn't be your savior. It's by his wounds that you are healed. Now, our wounds are nothing like his. But I want to submit to you today that there's still a principle here. Your wounds may be deep. Your wounds may be painful. But it may be, I want you to be open to the possibility that it may be through your wounds that God gives you your greatest ministry to the wounded. 
That's the way of Christ. That's the gospel. I can't tell you how many times God has used my wounds to help other people. The awful wounds in my life that I don't even want to think about, that I'm quite frankly embarrassed to even mention to people sometimes because I'm worried about being judged or looked at the wrong way. But God wants to use your wounds to help other people. And he doesn't just want to do that through my life. He wants to do that through your life as well. I want to invite the band to come up. And as they're getting settled in, I just want you to imagine with me, if you would, imagine if we were a community where God uses our wounds to minister to those who are wounded. Imagine what that would be like, where our wounds of rejection are used to minister to those who suffer from wounds of rejection. When our wounds of shame are used to minister to those who have wounds of shame. Where those of us with wounds of guilt are used to minister to those with wounds of guilt. Imagine if we were a community where we were to discern the enemy, to trust the king, and to serve the wounded. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus Christ to be our sacrificial our sacrificial atoning death for our sins, God. We thank you for the promise of forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. And Lord, thank you for reminding us today in, in your word that by his wounds we are healed. And even beyond that, God, we see profound implications because of the gospel where you want to use our wounds to help other people who are wounded. God, you say in your word that you're the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may comfort those with theirs. Lord, I pray that that would be true about our church. And God, I pray that maybe somebody this morning would, would recognize for the first time that by the wounds of Jesus Christ, they can be healed. By coming to know him through faith and repentance, Lord, I pray that that might be true of somebody today for the first time. Lord, help us to continuously discern the enemy, to trust the king, and to serve the wounded. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.